Welcome to the first ever live edition of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Can we get a check from IM, from people that are watching, to make sure the sound is good? And it's going to take a few seconds because there's a delay between this and YouTube. It's live for us. It's like 10 seconds late for them. So while we're getting that, let's just assume they can hear. And let's introduce my panel. I am obviously your host, Stuart Butler, the guy that speaks funny, the token foreigner. We have on my right, Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. Pro proprietor of uh, Dad Jokes and uh, Bees. Yeah. Multifaceted. <laughs> and then Cats and Wine fans. Hello. Misha Bokikio. <laughs> and then finally, wait, where is she? Can, can anyone see Melissa? I found her. I found her. There she All is. Right. Waldo over there. Me, uh, <gasps> Melissa Kavanaugh. Hello. She's rocking it. You know, in England, uh, Waldo is actually called Wally. Wally. Back. Yeah, where's Wally? I like that name better yeah, than Waldo. I like that better. Yeah, where's Wally? Hmm. Or and a slightly less interesting fact is that when I was younger, say like fifty years ago, fifteen, <laughs> went through that awkward phase, and I had glasses. That you never I was kind of skinnier then, and I had a longer face, and I resembled Wally a little bit. So how do we I, know I, you still don't resemble Wally? Well, because I'm a few pounds heavier than I was. Ah, hmm. indeed. But thank you for turning in, tuning in live. Did we get confirmation people can hear us? Awesome. Ooh. So we are ready to rock this thing. If you are a long-time listener to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, obviously you know the drill. We talk about news and hotel marketing-related stuff, and we make fun of each other. Mm -hmm. If you uh, have never seen us before, then now you know what we do because I just explained it. And what we're going to do is rock this lifestyle. So this is an AMA and Ask Me Anything so if you have a question that you would like to ask us, anything related to hotels, marketing, Star Wars, anything at all, wine, anything yes. else, guys? I, if I don't know it, I will make it up. Bee so ask us anything. Beekeepery. Did we yeah. decide there's a word for that? There was. He said yeah. it. Apiary. Apiary. Oh, see, I remembered. Okay. We learn things so here. Beekeeping, anything you want, then just go to Twitter. Go to at Fuel Travel and hit us up with the hashtag Fuel A M A F U E L A M A, and we will do our best to answer those questions. What you can't see off camera is our lovely assistant, Alyssa Fate. She is monitoring the social channels, and she is going to be sending us the questions. And so, if this gets screwed up, we're going to blame it all on Alyssa. But thanks for joining us, Alyssa. You know what I'm saying? Anything? They can hear you because there you go. That's my job. Oh. <laughs> she could be my understudy. I like it. All right, so lot, let's rock this off, fuel style, with what's going on in the news. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Go for it. So I actually just found this yesterday and I shared it with a few people internally because I thought it was interesting. One, because of who is doing it um, and also what they are doing. So this article was on searchengineland.com and the title is Bing has a chatbot answering local search questions. So it intrigued me because this is Bing doing something new and different, not Google, which I feel like they typically do it first and then everybody else copies. And in the article, they have some screenshots of what you can see. Um, it is a very small market. It looks like they're testing it in. So the only place this has been seen in the wild is for search results specific to the Seattle area, specific to restaurants. So a very small area that they're testing this, a very small market. 
And what it looks like, you can see this in the article, um, but there's a screenshot of a name of a restaurant and you see the typical things you'll see. And this is via a mobile device. You've got the directions, the menu for the restaurant, um, a button to order online. And then you also see a little chat box that says questions, ask Monsoon Bot for help. So it has a name, it's Monsoon Bot. And the guy kind of walks through his process of, he was a little confused because they don't really give you any specific directions as to what you can or can't ask the chat bot, which is kind of how chat bots work anyway. But he said once he got started, it was really easy to use. It was really intuitive. It asked for um, specific questions. So you show me directions to the place, um, what parking options, it kind of walked you through the process if you, it seemed like you were kind of having trouble. So I found this interesting and I'm wondering if in the future this is going to be a more prominent thing, not only with Bing, but with Google and also for hotels as well. Discuss. I mean, everybody else came up with a clever name and they chose Monsoon. <laughs> Maybe because it's being launched in Seattle and it rains a lot. That's true. I don't necessarily have a problem with the name of it. I mean, every, you know, who's to say that's better than Alexa or any of the other names? Like that? Right. And this is a type chat bot, right? Yeah. It's not a voice activated Correct. one. So, you know, it's not like you have to type monsoon comma. Then, then yeah. The question. And this just showed up like in the actual SERPs. You could click and then chat with this thing. So I'm just wondering like down the road, is this where this is going instead of somebody calling a hotel to get, a question answered if they're going to just use a chat box and interact with artificial intelligence. Yeah, and this is something that other guys have, have invested in heavily. Expedia's got one out there. I want to say Priceline has one. Facebook's obviously doing some automated message responses in Messenger. So to me, this is the other side of another trend that's going on, and that's voice search, right? Oh, so, absolutely. So for computers and humans to interact, a couple of things have to happen, right? First, the computer has to understand what we're saying, like actually interpret it, not just hear it, right? But then they've got to take that and try to create the, understand the intent, the sentiment, and then use intelligence to actually figure out what their appropriate response is, right? So we're in the infancy of that, although it's been going on for years and years, right? There's been this uh, thing in computer science called the Turing test for forever where if you can trick a person into thinking that they're actually talk, chatting with a, a real person. Isn't that what like dating apps do? Dollars. Like what's the, <laughs> what's the one that did they, the list was hacked or whatever? The one you were on. Actually, <laughs> oh. Madison. Yeah. Like weren't uh, like half of those profiles like fake, but they had these advanced things set up yeah. where you thought it was like a real person. Yeah. Um, I guess. But because <laughs> you don't know, <laughs> but, but the, the point is human brains and our language and how we communicate and how we interpret is, is really sophisticated. Computers have not caught up yet. They're getting close. But I think this chatbot voice search, all of this is going to parlay together into one kind of central intelligence system, whether that's Watson from IBM or something else. But every major technology company out there is either working on automated cars or natural language processing and artificial and we, intelligence. And we've seen so much happen over probably the last 12, 18 months where it seems as if we're getting toward a search-less or a search-less society where you're not necessarily always going to be going to a traditional search engine, pull up your computer and type something in. Right. It's going to be things like your voice assistants, things like chatbots, mm -hmm. where it's going to be so important from an optimization perspective that you really do understand how these things are changing customer behavior because I think we talked about on past audio only podcast where if you're not first, you may not be seen at all. Mm -hmm. If you're Ricky not Bobby. first, you're last. Yeah. Sorry, Ricky Bobby. 
Exactly. No, I agree 100%. I think it's something to watch. There's nothing people need to really do right now, but continue to monitor the situation because technology, we did an episode, I think it was episode, what, 48, where we talked about the, the technological shifts that have created the society that we live in today. This is just another one that's going to shape the fabric that we live in. I think it's in its infancy. I mean, For as sure. we all know, anyone that has an Echo or uses Siri right now, it's maybe 60% effective at responding intelligently, but it's going to get better every single day. Sure. And you definitely don't want to be um, a hotelier, since I, apparently I've been mispronouncing that word for a year. Nobody told me. Hoteller. Um, hoteller, hotelier. Like if you work in a hotel, whatever that word is. There's an I in there. What? Like, alum okay. like aluminium, there's an I in there. Oh, okay. So if you're that person, you definitely don't want to wake up one day and check your hotel, Google your hotel name, and then you see all of a sudden there's a chat bot on it and you're like, what? what is this? Like you need to be aware of what's happening. Yeah, and that's what we're here for. That's why you tune into the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast every single week. So, and that's how we've gotten to 50 episodes. So what's next on the news? Well, the next thing we have is on T News, and the article is entitled, why, why OTA Commissions Are Actually a Seal of Deal. It's a nice kind of juxtaposition of what we typically talk about from an OTA perspective, where you know all the hotels are just very frustrated in many cases that so much of their bookings come from OTAs. And so much of an OTA booking is really blind to the hotel up until the person stays at your property. This article is pretty interesting, and it talks about really how much the OTAs are actually making off of you know, their products and services. And it's a little bit surprising because the hotel sees it as being, you know, 15 plus percent of a booking is the OTA fee. However, this article really does dig down into specifically what the OTA makes off of that. And the number's kind of surprising. They only make about, uh, like 64 cents for every $100 that is booked on Expedia in this example. But you know what? If they didn't bid on brand names, they'd make a lot less than that. That's very true. You know, so so this article to me was utter hogwash. Pete, apparently people can't hear you. There was no not awkward way to do oh, that. Really? Any anything at all from Pete? They can hear a muffled Pete. A muffled, muffled Pete. Pete. Let me check that. <laughs> a muffled <laughs> Pete. Make it clear that it's not normal. He's normally the loud one. Well, well, he's not clearing his throat. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> you know, I I think we had discussed this earlier um we were on another podcast before this and stuart was talking about how clickbaity the title was but as a person who writes clickbaity titles i'm not even mad about it all right Pete, do another test let's see if that works all right can anybody hear me out there <laughs> and that's again going to take 10 seconds so we'll wait okay. on that but <laughs> yeah, I, agree. 10 seconds, I mean what i said because we were on the um this week in hotel digital marketing the show earlier the hsmei show and you know i said i both love and hate this article Right. Because this article did a really good job of getting people's attention, but it was very, very misleading. Like I think anyone and, and we know that the majority of people only read the, the headline and then forward it. Mm -hmm. They don't actually read the article. So anyone that read that is going to have an opinion that if you actually read the article, it's a little misleading. Well, it, to be fair, if people aren't smart enough to open the article and read it, then they're just not smart. <laughs> Well, but, but the, I put this in here as an interesting news item, and this is getting a little bit offensive. So, could, so could, can you honestly tell me you've never retweeted or shared an article that you haven't read? Oh, all the time. Well, <laughs> right. But I don't take every grain of it as truth. 
All I ever retweet is Clemson. So that's not yeah, apples to apples comparison. Yeah, but I, I think if you look into it, one of the things this article said was that only 0.0, no, 0.5% of searches on the OTA were brand related. Right? The rest were looking for destination, mm. which, again, is so misleading because maybe the actual searches at the beginning are. But if you look at how much traffic is coming from brand searches, like someone typing in the brand and landing on that brand's page or someone coming from a meta search, those people aren't going to go to Expedia and perform a search on the global level. Right. They're actually looking at that property. So that that data is just completely misleading. And this whole article was just opinion with very little facts to back it up. It was just nonsense. Well, I mean, the way I see it is this is a, a, a way to attract new customers. So no doubt the OTAs are bringing in a massive amount of customers to individual hotels. What does a hotel do when that customer gets to your property to keep them there? You know, so if a hotel looks at any of these OTAs as a true uh, new business generation tool and you do the best job you can at the property, then you can make sure those guests, in this case, don't go back to Expedia or wherever else they might be going and go right to your property next vacation. Yeah, and, and don't forget you're competing with the OTA for the booking, right? And, and it's often the hotel's own fault that they're booking with the OTA because your website doesn't do a good enough job selling your property. It doesn't tell the consumer all the things they need to know. It doesn't answer all their questions. It doesn't apply forward pressure on them to go through the conversion funnel. We did a whole episode about this. If you go to fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 44, we analyze booking.com's UI and how that compares to a hotel and what hotels can do. Most hotels are doing a terrible job with this. And there's a big, big opportunity for improvement. Do I wish the OTAs didn't bid on our brand? Absolutely. But I guarantee if you did a better job promoting your property, you're going to get a lot more of those people that search for brand. People want to book with the hotel site. Majority of people. Obviously, some people are loyal to an, an OTA, especially people that are traveling to multiple destinations. But in general, people want to book with the property. So put your best foot forward and you're going to get the biggest share of the pie. Well, and you said earlier too, Stuart, you know, your biggest competition isn't the hotel down the road. A lot of times it's your other distribution channels. So you need to do a better job of selling yourself than anyone else. And that's clearly not happening. Absolutely. Melissa, did you have a news article? I did not have a news article. Awesome. And I have your news article. I bring yesterday. nothing but wine and water to this. Well, and an awesome show. And I didn't even bring the wine, so. Well, this is true. So let's jump into the AMA. So everyone watching and listening because we're going to republish this as an audio podcast too on our regular RSS feed. So if you listen to us normally on iTunes or whatnot, you can obviously listen to this back. But if you're watching live now, then this is your show. We're giving back to you because we really appreciate all the support we've had. We started this thing a year ago and we had no idea how successful this was going to be. And we've had such a good time doing this. Um, I think we've become better marketers because of it. It's pushed us to improve um, we've become closer as a fuel family because of the podcast. It's been a rallying thing. So I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I'd like to thank. Um, this isn't an acceptance speech. This is just a, we, we reached a big milestone. 50, like I said in last episode, has a zero at the end. And for whatever reason, humans think that's really exciting. So 50 episodes, one year in, we, we get over 18,000 listeners. And it's just been exciting and fun to do. So what we wanted to do was celebrate this anniversary by involving our extended fuel family, the listeners, and uh, ask, answer any questions that you might have. So 
if you have some burning questions that you've been itching to ask about anything you want us to, to try to tackle, we've already had a bunch of questions before the show, but you can continue to sub submit them now because Alyssa is beavering away over there. Talking <laughs> to me, right? uh, so go to Fuel uh, or at Fuel Travel on Twitter and use the hashtag FuelAMA. And what we're going to do, Pete, you want to explain this part? Yeah, so it's a good thing that that was not an acceptance speech because you're not getting anything, but the people who are going to ask questions will get stuff. And what we're going to do is we have not a, all of them. Not, not all of them, the, the lucky ones. So we have this fuel tumbler here. And every time somebody asks a question. There's a lid to it. Do you want to show the lid? Well, the, I mean, has anybody ever seen a lid? It, it's exactly the but same. Here is a cup with a lid. Anyway, their, their name goes in the tumbler. And we're going to pull several names out at the end of the podcast or uh, whatever this thing is that we're doing. And they're going to get a variety of items from tumblers to playing cards. Autographs. To, we are giving away autographs. I've heard the pretty swanky vests, too, okay. if you have an issue where you're thorax is oh. cold but your arm, <laughs> what is cold? your thorax but your arms are nice and warm are, is you that know? like your thorax your throat <laughs> i don't know that's I the lorax that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tumulus trees yeah that is swanky yeah i can't i've lost the ability to put on jacket there we go covering up yoga sorry has a nice fuel logo on here who doesn't want one of these I, I can see the people yeah. lining up from out the window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. So anyway, do we want to kick this thing off? Yeah. So what's, what's the first question? <laughs> can I be the question writer? You can be yes. the question Okay. So we have a question from, it was a Twitter handle, at M-S-I-M-R-E, and I'm sorry, I cannot pronounce your name. It says Misha Bokikia. It is not Misha Bokikia. Um, the question is, no. best way to track slash manage conversion funnels when using Booking Engine with separate domain in Google Analytics? I will... You, we're all looking at Melissa for this one. <laughs> yes. I am so excited to kick off the first question of our live podcast. Yay. All right. So there are multiple things we want to look at when tackling this question. The first potential problem is that maybe you cannot get access to get Google Analytics on your booking engine. Please overcome that hurdle. Beg, borrow, bribe, do whatever you need to do with your booking engine company to get that code on the booking engine, because without that, we're pretty much a lost cause. Yeah, I mean, let me interject. It's 2017. Get on board. I say that <laughs> if you have a booking engine that cannot embed your Google Analytics code, then you need a new booking engine, period. And because it's not just one or two booking engines. We work with a lot of you know, individual properties, and we run into it all the time where it, it just becomes a black hole. You keep asking for it and asking for it, and they have problems implementing. Or it's not even to have problems implementing, but the support is just terrible. Well, the, the, often the booking engine comes from the PMS or some other software vendor that, that doesn't really deal with marketing, right? So they, they, they're not invested in analytics. They don't understand, one, the importance of it, but two, how to implement it. You know, hopefully, as we move towards a tag manager world with Google Tag Manager, Adobe Tag Manager, soft tools like that, it's going to become easier. But seriously, you've got to measure conversions. If you're spending any money online and not able to track conversions, then you're, you're wasting your money. So let's Sorry, assume let's assume that you've already taken care of that and that the code is on the booking engine and working on the booking engine. So there's a couple of things that are potentially going to go wrong. 
One is that you have not set up your referral exclu exclusion list within Google Analytics. This is very, very important. In the admin part of Google Analytics, in the property level, there is, if you go into the tracking code, there is a thing called referral exclusion list. You need to go in there and make sure that your main domain and the booking engine domain are both listed as exclusions. If you don't do this, what you're going to see is the majority of your revenue coming from your own domain. And that gives you basically garbage data. Right, you lose your attribution. And not only that, you're now doubling your traffic. So every time somebody leaves the front end of your site and goes into the booking engine, you're doubling the visit. So all things are now garbage. So that is key step number one. Key step number two takes place in the actual Google Analytics code on the site. So you're going to need a developer or somebody who has access to that code. And there's a little snippet of what we call linker code that needs to go in there. Once that's implemented, and we can put these instructions in our show notes for future reference. Sounds like a full-on blog post. Doesn't it? It's funny, huh? Um, once this little Google linker code is put in, every time you click from the front end of the site to the booking engine in the URL, you should see a little GA and a bunch of numbers at the end of the URL. That's when you know that your linker code is working or should be working. So that's step number two. You want to test that on every URL. And if you have a, an actual widget or a button, you need to test all that and make sure that every single time you click on it, it's passing that little linker code in the URL. My recommendation is once all that's done is to come into your website from some other source, come in from Google so that you can be a natural search referral and watch yourself in Google Analytics in the real time reporting. And so you can see that you are a natural search referral. And as you cross over into the booking engine, you are still a natural search referral. You should not see that source change to either direct or referral um, and go make a test booking. Normally, your test booking is going to show up unless you have millions of visits to your website on a daily basis. Normally, that booking is going to show up within a couple of hours. Go into the transactions report, break that transaction down by source, and you should still see if you came in from Google, your transaction ID should show up as Google. Well, you sure do sound like you know what you're talking about, Melissa Cavanaugh. Thanks. Melissa Caveat. <laughs> There's no caveats in that one. Those, those are the rules. There are no caveats there. Those are my those are my go to. Right. I mean, and that's getting really nerdy technical, right? But and Melissa tends to have nerd rage when it gets to data and extracting, <laughs> which we've witnessed a little bit there because she's she's had to deal with so many situations where the the data is just fundamentally wrong. So we will. I think you're working on a blog. Post I am working a blog post on so this very as topic. As soon as that's finished, we'll link to it. We'll go retroactively link to it from these podcast notes. So if you're listening to this in what like six months on the podcast, then it'll probably already be there. It, it, yeah, that. Hopefully shorter time than that. It, it seems like you just need to pay attention to this part. When you know that you have your analytics set up properly on your site, it's not done there. Mm -hmm. Just obviously you don't need to know the technical information. If your web team is going to handle that, mm -hmm. just know that it's something that you need to know about and check on occasionally. And just, know that if you're seeing your own site as a referring domain in your source reports, that something is wrong. You should not see that there. Or, or if your traffic doubles because you switched booking engine. <laughs> or that. Mm -hmm. that issue yes. too. So, all right. That's a great first question. So thank you for submitting that. Again, keep submitting more questions. Hashtag Fuel AMA. What's next? 
So the next question comes from one of our raving fans at Boostly UK. His question is, what is the worst advice you see or hear being given in the hospitality world? We should do this like a rundown, like boom, boom, boom. Everyone <laughs> gives one. Drive more traffic. Oh my gosh, I should have said that. Get one. more traffic. That's. Oh, I know. Don't bid on your brand. Ooh, that's a good one. That is pretty big. Ignore this or always do this. Anytime someone says absolutes, that is the wrong advice. Mm -hmm. um, always ignore it when people <laughs> yes, say ignore. Always ignore <laughs> all advice. <laughs> sound, sound advice, but I have to ignore it. Uh, social media doesn't work for hotels. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation in general about hotel marketing, what works. I think the key for us has been try not to make too many assumptions that have lasted more than a few months, you know, because the environment that we're, we're working in is changing. Society is changing. Technology is changing. So I think the adage that everyone knows, which is the definition of insanity, right? Everyone knows that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I really feel like it's, it's changed to where doing the same thing and expecting the same results is insane today because everything's changing so far, faster than it ever has, right? So you've got to do what, Melissa? Always be- Testing, ABT. Yeah, always be testing everything because you never know if your assumptions are gonna have changed where they were last year. If, if we didn't always be testing, if we didn't evolve, then we'd still be doing AAA magazines and, and print, you know? And, and we wouldn't be doing Facebook advertising and Google hotel ads. In, in 360 videos and all the, the cool stuff that works today. And that goes to kind of dovetails into one other piece of really worse advice is if somebody tells you their opinion on, oh, I like this design of a site or I like how this picture works. That is not, that's an opinion. That's not something based in sound you know, analytics. Mm -hmm. Opinions should be formed based on the analytics and the data that are out there, not just someone's opinion. And we see this all the time where somebody likes something, but the only criteria is really, you know, their own opinion. So test it. Yeah, test it. And I agree hundred <laughs> percent. We get that a lot. And remember your audience too, when you're like doing things like designing a website or an ad, you're not doing it to, to be aesthetically pleasing to you. You're doing it to put heads in beds, you know, aesthetics are important but it's more important that there's a good, strong call to action, great messaging, you're telling your story, you're, you're focusing on the brand, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of bad advice. We should do mm -hmm. a whole podcast on the top 20 things that people say that are just fundamentally wrong. Like USC is awesome. Easy. Ooh. Oh, they're, oh thinking, they're located in California. I, Never mind. I, I, I'm I don't really know about, about them. Today. I, was, I was thinking more about um, Google hotel ads don't, don't work. You know, six months ago, That's if you'd asked me six months ago, I would have said absolutely Google hotel ads don't work. Well, that could be a good segue into our next question. All right, go for it. So our next question was via email from Alex and they ask, as a vacation rental business, we spend a lot of money on PPC, but not sure how Google hotel ads can work for us. Do you see Google making an effort to push vacation rental pricing the same way they are with hotels? You want to take No, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it's, the only oh, way that the only reason I'm struggling a little bit with that, and I think they the reason they haven't prioritized is it because strictly from an inventory perspective, not there's not a lot of vacation rentals, but working with one hotel that has 500 rooms 
to me, that's an easier setup than working with individual rentals. And in addition to that, if you have, if you're a vacation rental company and you have 20 units in that 500 unit property, the 500 unit properties own booking engine is going to show up in GHA or, you know, wherever else, you know, it's gonna be hard for your individual you know, vacation uh, rental engine to show up in that same place. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm going to split it into two categories, right? So when we're talking about vacation rentals or condos, right, there's beach homes, like individual, That's what I was individual properties, right? And I don't think they really fit on GHA as it stands because it's all surrounding a property with multiple rooms and inventory and, and stuff like that, right? So I don't really see Google hotel ads being a good fit for that. I think that's more of a VRBO stuff, home away, stuff like that, right? But if you're talking about a rental management company that has gone into a market that is kind of minimized and they have these big resorts and you've taken 20 units out of the rental pro the, the on property rental program and you're renting them out, then I have seen where that can be successful. Uh, especially if you can undercut the price of the, the primary property and especially if you can offer the same value, right? I think you're going to struggle if it's a property where they have great amenities that are only available to official guests and your guests don't get those amenities. But if, if it's a, a, a moderate resort that just has a few pools and your guests get to stay there as well, and there's really not a lot of difference between on, on-site and off-site management companies, I think um, it, it's worth dabbling a little bit. Uh, I, I think you're going to have to differentiate yourself some, some way because the brand is always going to have a huge advantage. So you're going to be competing against the brand, competing against the OTAs in resellers, and then you know, you, then you're going to be there on your own. Where I have seen it work a little bit, we work with a company that has um, pre-bought inventory. Like they go to properties and buy out inventory ahead of time at a deeply discounted rate. And then they sell it at a discount from the rate, the, the rack. So what they'll do is wait until it's peak times and then they'll undercut the, the primary property, which I don't know how they get away with that, but they do. And that, that can work on GHA. But I think Google is so focused on hotels right now mm -hmm. that they're really not thinking a lot about the vacation rental space. And it's just a volume game. And if you if you do a search for you know, Orlando homes for rent, Charleston rental properties, you know, Hilton Head, you know, vacation rentals, the GHA listings are not showing up. Right. No. For any of those terms, well, granted, that's just like she said, they don't have the inventory right, right. now, yeah. you know. But who knows? They might partner with a HomeAware or DRBO or something like that. I can see that being more as from the consumer perspective, that being a more legitimate legitimate source than some, let's say, local rental agency that probably nobody out of market's ever heard of. Just thinking of when you're looking at, like you said, you're competing against Booking.com, Expedia, these sites that people are pretty familiar with, and then the actual brand. Let's say mm -hmm. it's a, a condo you know the name of the resort versus you're you know, a little one-off company, I feel like that's kind of a struggle that they would have to overcome as well. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks Alex for that question. Did you put I did. Alex's name in there? Awesome, who's next? So we had a question from Jared. He asks, um, and this was via Twitter, I'm in revenue management. I just received access to our website um, data backend. What key metrics do you think I should be looking at? And I feel like we have a whole podcast about this. Uh, well, yeah, we did. We did 10, and 10 a whole blog post. Was it 10 metrics that actually matter or 10 yes. metrics that don't matter? Yeah, 10, 10 that actually matter. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more of the question, right? Is it what, what to ignore? There's a lot of noise when you 
pop open Google Analytics. It's easy to focus on what we call vanity metrics, yes. like bounce rate. And, uh, you so know, let's name some that are really important and some that are not important. Well, I, okay, we can do that. But I think it's important to consider them in context and in aggregate, right? Sure. I think any one metric in, in a silo can be completely misinterpreted, right? If my bounce rate's going down, that sounds good. But there might be a, a symptom of that that is not so good. So anyway, I'll let the analytics expert take it. <laughs> Well, I'm going to take this from a very basic perspective. So this is the first time you've gotten access to your data ever. It's the first time you're logging into Google Analytics and you have no idea where to look. Let's start with the basics. So overall, we want to look at the overall conversion rate. We can get into a whole discussion about what a good conversion rate is versus a bad conversion rate. Let's just say it can always get better because you should always be testing. So you've got a benchmark of your conversion rate, but there's actually three conversion rates you want to look at. One is the overall. One is the conversion rate of how many people are getting to your booking engine. So they start at your homepage or somewhere else on the front end of your website. How is your messaging about your property doing to get people into the conversion funnel enough to make them search for a room? That's one conversion funnel. The next conversion funnel is within the booking engine itself. So once they've searched for a room and they've gotten some results, what does that process look like? And what is that conversion rate? So you've got those three things. Those are my three things to start with. I do wanna talk about bounce rate. I hate that metric, but I don't hate it all the time. And here is where I would look at it. If you look at it in your landing pages report, you will see the bounce rate by entry page. And then you can see that your homepage might have a bounce rate of say 30% while your contact us bounce rate might be 70%. It gives you a little context of what's going on on the website, but take that just one. If all you do is break that down by one other metric, you can either break it down by device type and see if maybe you're having a serious mobile issue on your website, or you could break it down by source and or campaign to see if it's a specific type of traffic that's coming from a specific source that's driving your bounce rate. That's where I would start. Nowhere else. How about that? I think that's good. I mean, I, I think, look, paying attention to source, conversion rate by source is critical, right? And, and knowing which of your channels are really generating the right kind of revenue. And then going beyond that and looking at offline data too. So understanding once you, once you understand where the revenue is coming from first time, starting to look at things like lifetime value of a guest in looking at how many times these channels are creating, is it new business, is it repeat, and how many times are those people staying, I think is critical. But if we're starting at the very beginning, you just started this new place, you're trying to get your arms around it, breaking down conversion rate by channel and by device is really critical. If, uh, if it's like a lot of properties that we come across today, the mobile initiatives are still 10 years behind. And I would start by looking at the mobile experience and the mobile traffic and because we know that more than 50% of your traffic is gonna come from mobile today. So if you're not servicing those people correctly, you're missing out on the majority of people. So don't don't worry too much about the desktop experience until you sort out the mobile experience first. Is that it? I'd add one thing to that, and that is trust but verify. You know, we talked recently, or just a few minutes ago, about making sure you have the analytics on the booking engine. Go through the, the your data and make sure it's all sound information. 
you know, are like Melissa said earlier, is you know, are, are your referrals coming from your own website? Those are the things that you really want to look for immediately to make sure you don't have any problems. Yeah. So at least you can address those now and start creating better benchmark reports. It's a great point. Yeah, actually go and make a booking and, yeah. and make sure that it's tracking correctly from multiple sources. You know, because we've had it happen so many times where you know you see customers trying to make decisions based on the data, mm-hmm. and that can be a nightmare if you don't know that that data is 100% accurate. Right. The other thing I would say is try to get some context to your data. It's really hard, hard to look at your own analytics and understand what's going on because you don't understand market conditions. You don't understand your other channels if you're just looking at your Google Analytics. So an example of that, and we've told this story before on the podcast, would be where we had a, a client where their conversion rate on their website dropped significantly and, and nothing had changed from a UI perspective or a content perspective on the website. The traffic sources were about the same. The, the volume was about the same. Just conversion rate just dropped all of a sudden. And uh, after digging and looking at other channels, we figured out that their OTA business had increased at the exact same time. So digging into that, we found out there was a huge rate parity issue. They dropped their rates on the OTAs and not on the website. So sometimes, you know, knowing where, where the cause is requires you to look outside of just that one bucket of data that you look at as well. All right, what's the next question? We're getting lots of questions. Yeah. I, I know. I so, thought we were going to be sitting here going. <laughs> we do have some questions coming in live. So. Well, all these are live. You meant to keep the illusion going, <laughs> Alyssa. Come on. All right, so I'll just skip around a bit then and mix Let's do some of the live ones. Come on. Okay. So we have a question. I think you will enjoy this one slash get a little ranty, Stuart. So this one is from Jonathan from Twitter. He asks, how do I drive more millennials to my hotel and get them to post about their stay? And go. (laughs) All right. First, Jonathan, thank you for the question. And then there you go. You're in the bucket. (laughs) Um, Second, after this live stream, go listen to episode 48. How do you know all of our episodes like off the top of your head? Because like, 87% of stats made up on, online are made up. True. So maybe go double check that. <laughs> no, it is. I looked at it before the show. Okay. Um, yeah, but we talked about millennials in the, the fact that we believe that it's it's not a millennial thing that, that we're chasing. It's a societal shift because the technology has trained us all for instant gratification. So go listen to that. I would, I'd say you, it might put some context in what I'm about to say. I think... Um, People are people, right? Regardless of their age, young people just happen to be younger than us and a little more than me. Not so much Melissa. She, I mean Misha. She's a millennial, but they, they you know, they're, they're not as uh, ragged yet, and they haven't haven't grown the cynicism, and they're idealistic, and they are used to putting everything they do out online, right? So, I think social proof and user-generated content in general are really, really good sales tool. Right. If, if you can show someone that comes to your website that other people like them have done it, that, that already overcomes one concern. Right. Well, am I going to be the first? Am I making a mistake? But if you can show them that lots of people did it and had a great time, then you're going to get a lot more people nodding and saying, I want to do it, too. Right. It's it's that uh, confirmation bias. They're already thinking that they want to stay there. They're seeing other things that align with them. You've got the social proof going on. It just has, it's, it's, it's just great. So I would look at, there's a lot of opportunity to gamify it and make it fun for people and incentivize it. I think honestly, and I'm a little biased because I like these guys and we put out a, um, 
a study recently with them, but I would look at a product like Flip.2 because they do a really, really good job of gamifying it, doing the mechanics for you. So you don't have to do a whole lot of legwork. You don't have to spend a ton of money developing the software yourself or the plugins for your website. So if you go to Flip.2 and look at their solution, but they basically do what you're saying. They'll, they'll reach out to people on social media that have stayed with you. They're incentivizing to leave photos, to, to leave testimonials. And then they take it a step further by encouraging that person and incentivizing that person to share that with their friends and family and get them into the game as well. So it's a great approach. I would absolutely do it. I don't think millennials really are a factor. I think all people like to see what other people did and like to see what their friends and peers did. So I, I would take the, the millennials out of the question and just say, go get flipped to. As the token millennial um, in, on the panel, I will say I am not a unicorn. And I don't understand what all the rage is about millennials, aside from the fact that we're the best generation. You know what? Every every kid says that. I'm different. Every kid says that. Yeah, every kid now. says I'm different by being no. the same, right? I feel like in order for me to share something personally, like it just has to be something that is worth sharing. That's yeah, like or, that's or all. Or you it get takes. value from it, right? So your your value is either that your status increases because your friends see it sure, or that you feel like you're helping your friends sure. so that then they reciprocate that to or you. fake internet points. Right. But you, you know, a lot of social media is that lipstick on a pig thing, you yeah. know, the, like those family portraits that look beautiful and, and relaxed in the ideal <laughs> family. But you know, five seconds before that camera went off, that mom was like beating her kids. Across the the kid. There may have been another kid that you don't even see in there anymore. That's right. They probably pushed him out. So, all right, Johnny, if you're not going to cooperate, you're no longer part of the family. You're dead to us. You know what I've seen a lot of hotels do that is successful? That's, I mean, it's rather particular and it works better in a destination. But having a selfie spot, which sounds ridiculous, but it really it works. works. It, it totally really works. Work. And if you have a hashtag campaign that you can associate with that, it totally works. Yeah, there are definitely some guerrilla things you can do, but, but encouraging it, you know, and you've got to show other people that other people have already done it. So even if you have to seed it, you know, have the selfie spot and then go get people that work there to go do it, you know, and share it on your website, but make it visible. No, don't just leave it on social media because I really feel like social media is a great tool to engage with your guests once they book during the stay after the stay. But, but you, what you don't want to do is send people that are in your conversion funnel on your website out somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. We, we want to limit that because now they're in a different funnel. They're in what Pete says is they're now in Facebook's conversion funnel, right? Facebook wants to monetize them. So keep them on your website. So if you're going to solicit social content, like there's user generated content, then it should live on social and, and use that to get more, but it should also live on your website to benefit the people that are coming to your website and you want to get to booking. It should put that forward pressure on the people to get them to, to book. One other thing to consider with, if you do want to say, okay, I really want to focus on millennials. <clears throat> it seems like they will are more likely to adopt different technology and make different things their own. So nobody is looking at Stuart, to your point, the AAA magazine, there might be a few, you know, greatest generation types still using a AAA magazine. I to plan don't their even vacation. know what that is. I mean, and you're a millennial, yeah, so don't so that. don't market to millennials in the AAA magazine, but always set aside a portion of your budget to try things that might be foreign to you. You know, don't say, well, 
the only social media network is Facebook mm -hmm. because that may not necessarily be where all your audience is. Try new things, make sure it's tagged appropriately so you can track within analytics. And then what you're doing is you're finding where your customers are. Mm -hmm. You're not finding any specific demographic. If the people on Instagram convert way better, and we've seen that in one or two examples, then that's where you need to focus on a little bit more. If you do that and they're not there, go somewhere else, but yeah. you know, keep testing. And let's put this in context too. Millennials now on the upper end, they're in their late thirties now, you know? Gen Z are in the early twenties. And every single generation complains and bitches about the younger generation because they have it way easier than we did, right? I totally always, complain about kids these days. Right, you, people, you, you look at me, yeah. you're like, You're a millennial, right? Heel, you're kids riding us, around right? on heelies. And but you know what? When I, when I was in my early 20s, you know what <laughs> the next generation said, the boomers said about us? They said, we were lazy and we wanted everything now and we were spoiled and you know, but you know what else we were? We were early adopters of technology, which is the same today. That's why it's exacerbated today because millennials have adopted social media and all this technology that has revolutionized society faster than anyone else. But you know what? Gen Xers and boomers and even the silent generation are catching on pretty fast. If you look at the biggest growth in Facebook, it's older than boomers, you know? So these everyone is now using technology. Everyone wants everything now. Everyone is more discerning than they were five years ago. Everyone is better at using the internet today than they were five years ago, right? So fish where the fish are. If, if, if your product targets millennials, great. You know where millennials are and go fish for them on you know Snapchat and Instagram and places like that. But don't get so caught up on millennials. Just, just go do a good job marketing, telling a great story in promoting people to your website and then do a kick-ass job of converting them once they get to the website. It doesn't matter how old they are. Good question, Jonathan. It was really good, Jonathan. Thank you. That was, yep, that was Jonathan. Are we ready for the next question? Sure. Okay. Unless so anyone needs a pee break, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't count. Moderators yeah. do yeah. not get a no. pee break. Um, I did order some more beer. Awesome. Oh, oh, yeah, I was going to say, we made you the delivery. Beer run. Awesome. Okay, so the next question comes from Ricky, and he asks, what were one or two of the things that the booking.com UI did better than the average hotel website? One or two or seven. <laughs> or Had a million. decent experience. Yeah, is there someone at the door? No. Just walking by? Oh, oh. <laughs> there's just signs. We have more and more people appearing at the door. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> you're on camera. You know, I think what they did was that they just created a better, more seamless experience. They walked people through the booking process. And you know, if you go back a couple of years and you look at the average hotel's booking process, it was you know kind of arduous. It was a pain to get through. And what booking did was just make it so easy to go through, choose your room, put your card in, make your booking, and you're done. Well, I think getting a little bit more specific aside from just having that seamless frictionless. booking, seamless, frictionless, whatever. You know, they use other specific tactics that type into the psychology and gamification of it. So they're using social proof at multiple steps throughout the conversion process. They're using a sense of urgency and they have different, and it's not obnoxious. It's not like every page you go to, there's a pop-up, but they use specific colors to draw your attention to certain parts of the pages. It's very subtle, but it's very effective. Yeah. They hit us on a primal level. I mean, they're using say fear as a motivator, right? The fear of only out. three rooms left. And then you right. like search mm -hmm. the next day, well, only three more. rooms left. Right. right. 
or, or the best I've seen is where it says only one room left and then you change and you search for one room and then you change it to needing two rooms. It's like only two rooms left. Yeah. Wink, wink. But I think they use fear. And not only are they doing that now, like the scarcity fear, but they're, they're doubling down on fear by saying things like, you just missed out. You know, I've seen that where they'll say, this room was available yesterday and you can search other dates, but it's no longer available. You missed out. You're an idiot. So guess what? This one's almost gone and you're going to miss out. So you better hurry up. So they create that sense of urgency by using fear. But again, like you said, social proof. They're also doing a really good job humanizing it in a lot of the verbiage on there. Like rather than just showing five stars, they'll say, say words like wonderful or really nice. Like they'll actually put human words there. And then uh, the other thing they'll do is they answer the questions that they know people are going to have, right? So eliminating the fear of deposits by saying no money down, you pay at the, the check-in, free cancellations, stuff like that, free Wi-Fi. So they really have anticipated every question that a guest might have before they book, and they do a great job answering it. And I think this is easier for them to do than a hotel website because a lot more people are going to have Expedia accounts than an account on a random hotel website. But using that data to their advantage and providing a more personalized experience. So if you have an Expedia account and you're on there, they can say, hey, Pete, you know, they can use your name at multiple points throughout that right, just to make it a little yeah. bit, you know, like, hey, we're your friend, Pete, get in our van and book our rooms. <laughs> Come eat our candy. My mom said not to do that. <laughs> yeah. But they, they, you know, they, they, they know what people want, right? They want pricing. They want choice. They want amenities. They want quality. They want location. And they do all of that. Like they're answering every single one of those questions. This is really unprofessional, guys. I'm really disappointed in this right beer now. Beer run. Thank you, Chris Mouter, for delivering beer. Everybody, Chris. I have something very important to say real quick. Hello. <laughs> I just wanted to let you all know that we are located here in sunny Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So if you happen to be planning a trip to Myrtle Beach, you ought to check out MyBeach.com <laughs> for all your attractions and hotel needs. So, wow, that is a shameless um, <laughs> That is a shameless MyBeach.com. And if anyone else would like a beer, please let me know. But otherwise, enjoy the rest of your hotel marketing. <laughs> Thank day. you, Chris. Well, there goes our Emmy, man. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. Fake news. <laughs> oh, wait. So we have a fake news refill. We've been hijacked. I know. <laughs> Anyone else want to do a shameless plug? Is there anyone else we want to dry read someone? Yeah, we need to. <laughs> Holy cow. Completely derailed us. Have we finished that question? Or was that from Ricky? I, yeah, that was from Ricky. Yeah. I feel like you have, I feel like Thanks, Ricky. Efficient. That was a good question. That was a great question. And the lexicon up here, episode 44, we broke that down in its Whoa, entirety. Steel trap. So, Are we ready for the next question? Sure. Spitfire. Let's do it. So we've got a question from Edward. And he asked via Twitter, what is one thing you wished every hotel marketer would do? Send Misha wine. Next question. <laughs> I have your case closed. <laughs> I mean, I think one thing is get out of your comfort zone and try new things. You know, so much of really what hotel marketing is, but marketing in general is trying to understand what buttons your customers want pushed and doing that, and those are always gonna change. So constantly testing new things, constantly having a little bit of a discretionary budget that you try you know, new avenues, new markets, and see what you can find. Dude, that is such a good answer. I wish I thought of that. So I'm just gonna double down on it and say, 100% you should have a contingency budget every year for experimentation. 
and don't be afraid to fail. You know, it, you got to try new things. And I'm not saying be a bandwagon jumper. Don't jump on the latest, greatest thing every time. But there's such an advantage to being an early adopter of something that is taking taking off, right? If you if you're one of the first people on AdWords or one of the first people on Facebook ads, or even now Snapchat, if you, if it's done right, can be really effective. We have a client that's dabbling with video on Snapchat, and they're actually generating sales for some of their more complex, harder to sell inventory because it's unique and has nuances. But you know what? It's such a great medium to show that off and have a little fun with it. So. You know, everyone takes this, I'm going to do this one social channel, these two social channels. Do that and do that really, really well. But be prepared to fail epically on these other things. Because you know what? If you fail, it means no one's paying attention. And if no one's paying attention, then you did no damage either. So stay true to your brand, but have a little fun and experiment. I think it's it's a great opportunity. And you will find these nuggets of revenue that you never knew existed if you do that. I will build upon that. And this is kind of the opposite of what the question asked, but I will say one thing you should do is do not make assumptions. And this kind of, you know, wraps up what you two have already said, but you know, don't assume that just because everybody is doing one thing and you're going to try something different, it's not going to work. Don't assume that just because the hotel website is pretty, that it's going to convert well. I think, you know, and to your point, yes. Melissa, you should always be testing things and you should always be willing to spend a little bit of money or time on something new and try new things. And don't just assume that it's not going to work just because you don't like it or you don't think it won't work. I will quadruple down on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> we should have started this end of the table. Yeah. Then I would have started fresh. I'll look at you next time for the next question. <laughs> but I was just going to say, just don't assume that you know everything that you think you know. Stay educated, read up on trends. Trust, if you have an agency, go to them. I'm not saying you put all your trust in them. Maybe you go down to other agencies and get multiple opinions, but understand what's going on in the market and just don't assume that, like what Misha said, just because you think that this website is pretty, that it works. Just be open to other opinions and be open to testing to verify that. Awesome. Nailed it. Well said, everyone. Good Glad job. we're all in agreement. Yeah, that's like literally a that first. never happened. Saw it here first. Yeah. Four people agree. Now. I think you should stick to what you know. <laughs> never do anything outside of your comfort zone. That is the best advice that anyone's ever given. Yeah, the nail that sticks up gets knocked down. Exactly. I've never heard that. What? No, you heard that? The nail that's popped up is one that gets hit. That's a dad joke. That's like dad. It's an adage. Dad advice. An adage. Dad advice. Yes. Yeah. That sounds weird though. Dad advice. <laughs> Drinking, hey, drinking is a, drinking is dad advice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, we have on. other questions. We, can... on. Um, we do we have now? another question from Michael. He asks, "What new features slash development trends do you see in the PMS industry?" In parentheses, data segmentation and visualization. Wow, that is a deep question. <laughs> Anyone want to go for that? Melissa, you want to start? I don't want to start on this one. <laughs> I am not a PMS expert All right, I'll, in I'll, any I'll, way. <laughs> we'll turn it over to the PMS experts. <laughs> I have to deal with a lot of PMS yeah. in this office, so I am very qualified. So I would say this. There's a couple of things going on. I think there's, there's a big shift in two ways. One is, from, and I'm just talking PMS right now, one is to go full stack. So one is to create a universal solution for everything operational and even on the marketing side, right? The booking engines and all the, the customer facing things. So I think that's one big shift. A lot of the giants are trying to do that right now. 
and, and a lot of them are doing it fairly well. I think the other thing is that the PMS industry is is very archaic in a lot of ways. A lot of them are working and building upon technology that is decades old. So there's an opportunity now for web-based, you know, a lot of them are switching to cloud-based, not true web-based, but I think there's an opportunity for web-based technology to come in and shake things up. There's a few players that, that are really beginning to make some noise. But, but I think you've got to find a partner in a PMS that is willing to work with you and understand your company and not force your business to operate the way their tool does. But I think PMS aside, I think one of the biggest challenges we have in the industry today, and I don't think anyone has done a good job yet of solving it, and I, I'm hoping that it will be someone in, the, in maybe us in some part in the next four or five years, is data aggregation and utilization is just terrible in this industry. No one is doing a good job of really pulling the data in from all the sources in a centralized fashion and being able to personally address every guest through channel that they want, being able to mine the data in a way that's actionable, that you can add intelligence, that you can really understand the value, right? Because we talk a lot about you know conversion rates and revenue per channel and stuff like that. But a lot of people really aren't nuanced in that. They're looking at it in a very black and white, you know, all things being equal, all um, all channels having equal attribution, right? There's no, no attribution modeling on, in terms of where they were in the funnel when they came in from that source. There's a lot of last click analytics kind of data. So I think some kind of universal big data solution that is is should probably be in the PMS, but I don't know any PMS companies have really tackled it because they're not marketing experts. Um, I think that that is the holy grail right now of, of the hotel industry. If someone cracks that, if someone creates that black box that is the intelligence of a hotel, and it's not just the guest data, but it's the rate data and the market data all bundled together, I think that with artificial intelligence that's really telling you how to drive your rates and how to use your channels. That to me is is what the future holds for this industry. It's well, I feel like we're at a point where, yeah, we have all this data and that's great, but we don't know what to do with it. I mean, one of the hottest jobs in the market right now is data science and data intelligence and being able to visualize it. So put it in a way that a hotel marketer can easily go in and look at their, their dashboard or whatever it might be and look at that data and it makes sense. But like you said, with the artificial intelligence, okay, what do I do with this? Like making something actionable out of it that you can actually use. Right. Yeah, and there's people that, that, you know, people would push back on me and say there are a lot of people doing it. And there are vendors out there that are doing a piece of it, right? There's some people that do a really good job on the, the rate management uh, and demand intelligence, right? There are people out there doing, you know, aggregating marketing data. You know, we, we have our own dashboard, the fuel, fuel gauge dashboard that aggregates sources of data from marketing. But there's no one really bridging all of that together. You know, marketing, revenue management, the the guest profiling side of stuff, market demands, things like that. Sounds like a great product. We should uh, get on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not something that's going to be built in a day. It's something that's going to need a lot of resources. But I, I think if if it worked and if it did a good job and it drove the decisions across every piece of the hotel, then I think it would be really successful. We've said on this show before, you know, operations and marketing have, have really become one and the same. Mm -hmm. and, and really what I'm seeing is a lot more revenue managers today are heavily involved, if not dictating the marketing strategy, you know, and that 
10 years ago, that was not the case. I very rarely spoke with a revenue manager 10 years ago. And now almost every time we have a call with a client, the revenue manager is heavily involved. So people are really getting that the operational, the rate side and the inventory side and the demand side and, and the marketing, it's all intertwined and it's all around the guest. You know, we are the hospitality industry. Everything we do has to be around the guest, their needs and their wants. That data is missing. We don't have it and we really need it. The mic drop. Yeah, I don't know if we should drop these mics. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not time yet. Come on, guys. All right, still have some more questions. All right, so our next question comes from Brian via Facebook, and he asked, mm -hmm. and I am just going to throw it out there that Flip2 should be sending us some wine for this question. Mm -hmm. He said, I was thinking about joining Flip2. Do you guys have any insight on it? Joining the company as an employee? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We might need more context. Well, this, this is like a PSA for Flip2 today because I already I... kind of gave him some kudos. I, you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's a it's a great product. I, I really think they've done a, a stellar job building an architecture that is easy to use, um, but really valuable to the, the property. You know, it's easy to do user-generated content. It's not easy to do user-generated content in a way that is going to get utilized and is going to generate a ton of revenue, right? And their whole system is built from the ground up to create miniature funnels of people, whether they're existing guests, potential guests, or friends of those people to get them to book. So I, I think for the price, it's it's a no-brainer. It's a very inexpensive product. Uh, they're, they're even going out to some markets now and just blanketing markets, markets and talking to like the CBBs or the chambers and cutting a deal with them because the utilization, if it's done on mass, can really help a market as well. So, and we've implemented Flip Two on it's probably about twenty-ish yeah. or so yeah. sites now, and it's a very easy to implement. I think with most marketing and most systems that we use now, the real question is: Are you committed to using the platform to its fullest? Because this is one of those platforms where you don't necessarily have to spend a ton of time. You know, helping to curate that content. It's like fifteen minutes a week. It's not right. a lot to once it's set up. It takes yeah. a little bit of setup, but but there's a, there's a commitment going. level of you're making an investment in your property. You're collecting these photos. You're using them. You're using the testimonials, making sure that you allow your marketing to pivot a little bit based on this new data. And it's right. not just something that you're just you know tossing onto your staff and saying, "Hey, do this." I don't know really what it is. Right. understand it and make the most out of it. Yeah. And, and and just backing up, right, whether it's Flip2 or some other tool or even a homegrown solution, right, for user-generated content. When we did our study, it said that 95% of people trust reviews on a hotel's website, right, or, or testimonials. It said that 87% of people, I might begin that number, I might mean 83% of people. We're making up. Yeah. The points don't matter. Everything's made up. I think it was 83. 83. I'll go conservative. So 83% of people said they will not book a hotel without first reading some kind of review testimonial, right? So following that logic through, if someone is on your hotel website and wants to book with you, but you're not showing them user-generated content, whether that's reviews, photos, testimonials, whatever it is, then they have no choice. 83% of people have no choice but to leave your website and go to probably TripAdvisor, where they're now getting exposed to your competition, to the other channels, to, you know, you're competing against yourself when you do that. So you, you have to on your hotel website, and going back to the booking.com question, booking.com does this really well. 
they provide all the answers to the guests. So your hotel website has to do the same. And one of the best ways to do that is to provide that social proof, that confirmation, that affirmation that that person's making a good decision, not a bad decision. Because people always have that potential doubt, that buyer's remorse nagging at them, their inner critic that's going to stop them from pulling the trigger. When you've got them on your hotel website, you've got to do everything you can to get behind them and push them forward towards booking. And social proof is a really good way of doing that. And I haven't seen anyone do a better job of that than Flip2. Yeah, I would definitely agree that they do a really good job with their product. I haven't actually been on a website, like visited a hotel site and used it throughout the process, but I've seen it on some of our client sites and it's slick. It looks really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's clean. And the user interface is really good too. So I know more Flip2 questions. Yeah, go check it out and talk to them for more if you want more yeah. information. So every, every vendor that's watching now needs to be like, what do you think of this product? And yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. PSA for their product. Should I do a free read for Blue yeah. Apron right now? Since <laughs> yeah, we're right, yeah. Blueapron.com. Yeah. Have you ever used Google? Every podcast I listen to, Blue Apron is like a sponsor. So I feel like we could just reach out and they would give us money. Maybe, maybe so. I'm I'll not add a fan. That to my to-do list. I'm not a fan. I did it for a little while. and I had Great. Now they're never going to sponsor us. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they, they can win me back over, but okay. the first time I had- I see what you did there. The, the first time I did it, the first package had, um, it had half the meat it was supposed to. Make make jokes of that, <laughs> right? The, Stuart the, needs more meat. The, the, Everybody the, the heard it here first. And I even called them. Now, admittedly, they did give me a free, another free one after that because I complained. But then the next one I got- <laughs> was damaged. The packaging was just beat up. And that wasn't their follow-up, but it turned me okay. off. I did it twice and then can can I reel done. this back in and get No, let's talk questions. about Blue Apron. <laughs> <laughs> They're not paying us to talk about them, so I'm moving on. They shouldn't be because I'm talking negatively about them. Okay. So our next question, and I am sorry if I pronounce your name wrong as a person with a weird name. I Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. you said as a person. You're talking about yourself, not them, right? <laughs> Yeah. Me? Okay. Yeah. No, I said I as a person fun. that has a weird you name. Can so, that word? Like, yeah. <laughs> so our next question is from no, our next question is from Amit, and again, I know you've tweeted at us, and we appreciate that. So I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, but anyway, um, his question was, "What's your take on hotels using chatbots on their Facebook page for FAQs? Seeing that Lola Travel recently received funding for their AI travel platform, mm -hmm. and where do you see chatbots?" fitting in the hotel ecosystem in the future. Yeah, so we kind of touched on this a little bit in the news section when we we're talking about, was it Bing who's rolling out? Yeah. Things? Um, in Facebook, obviously, in the Messenger platform has the ability to set up simple questions and, and canned responses. I think anytime you can uh, simplify and streamline your operations, I think it makes sense, right? But, but it's never a replacement for communication yeah. with the guest. So, so I think you've got to be really, really careful about what you're doing. Yeah. So I think for FAQs, it's probably okay. For sure. You know? but, but take it offline. Think about it this way. Mm -hmm. If you were sending people that called you up to an automated attendant for FAQs, would you be okay with that? Would the guest be okay with that? You know, so... Just because it's online, I think we, we have a tendency to treat it different, but it's still a person at the other end of that computer, right, with expectations. So I think um, if, if you're clear about it, that that's what it is, that these are the questions that you can ask and answer, I think that's fine. But don't try to overuse it to be your customer service because I think that's where you can really potentially alienate people, frustrate people, 
and, and take the hospitality out of the equation. And, and remember that chatbots are in their infancy. So half the time you're going to say, do you have days available in April? And they're going to say, I only have seven oranges. You know, it's, it's not going to match. Their response is not going to match the query. And I think that potentially does more harm than good. Now, I completely agree. As someone who manages Facebook pages, Facebook has really become the new customer service channel. You know, people aren't messaging you for simple questions. They're sending you questions like, you know, we're curious about, you know, how what the rates are for, you know, the middle of summer for a three bedroom condo. I mean, it's gotten very specific. So while I agree that in an ideal world for some FAQ questions, you know, taking some of that off so you can spend more time talking about to these people that are clearly more interested in booking half specific questions. That'd be great. But I do like your analogy with the, if somebody calls your hotel and has an FAQ, would you be okay with them going to an automated response? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's a fine line between trying to save some time and weed out some of the not as important things potentially, and then right. losing that touch. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I guess it depends on the, the question, right? So if someone's saying, I, I left an item at the what's property, the weather right? in October? <laughs> yeah, but if someone said I left an item there and you say, and your response was, here's our lost and found contact information, yeah. stuff like that, that's yeah. okay, you know? But if someone's asking for rates, it's like, I want to get them one, either to my call center or two, I want to get them to my website, you know, because yeah. that's a better funnel for me. And the more attentive you are to your page, which you should be attentive, but the more people are going to go there, ask questions. And it is a full-time job to pay attention to your channels and to be monitoring what people are asking and being timely about it. So yeah, it's, I mean, you get rated, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's keeping track of how fast you respond and there are benefits to being a faster responder. You know, I do pay attention life. to that response rate before mm -hmm. I message mm -hmm. a page. If you go even beyond just Facebook, just chat in general, we have several hotels that just have the traditional chat with a, a, on their website. And over the last couple of years, we've seen it grow in popularity, you know, dramatically. We have one client that I'm aware of that if they get a chat on the phone, there's about a 10% conversion rate of, you know, someone starts chatting, they are going to book, you know, so even if it, if it's on Facebook, if it's on your site, wherever it is, mm -hmm those people have gone out of their way to ask a very specific question. So that's all hands on deck. You really want to focus on that customer and not only answer their question, but go beyond it and give them information that they may not even know they need just yet. Right. Think about it this way. Every question that a guest asks or, or has and, and is going to pose is a potential hurdle to them getting to booking, right? Mm -hmm. Every, every potential guest want, wants to do the same thing you want them to do, which is they want to book. Right. You're in the decision set because they're already on your website or your Facebook page. So your job as a marketer and as a hotelier is not hoteller, but hotelier is to try to eliminate every hurdle. Right. To create that frictionless point at which they can go and convert. So anytime there's a question, you want to do everything within your capacity to answer that question as fully and thoroughly as possible and then push them to the next step. Right. And I just don't think bots are quite ready to do that yet. So if you have a reservationist or a reservation center, if you're multiple properties, then put live chat burden on them. You know, I think treating the chat, the messenger part of social different than, than the posting part is okay. And separating who's responsible for that is okay. 
But to Pete's point, if you don't have a live chat on your website, you should absolutely test that. And don't tell me that you don't have the resources to do it, because that's like saying you don't have the resources to answer the phone. Because if someone is on your website and has a valid question and it's preventing them from booking, why in the heck do you not want to answer that question? It's like saying I don't have the resources to make more money. Right, exactly. Because you know what? If you do a live chat, it's going to more than pay for itself because... We, like you said, we're seeing a 10% conversion rate in some cases of people that ask a question. I mean, that that's going to infinitely re give a return. Right. So. All right. What's next? So next we have a question from Eddie that I think Melissa might have some insight on. He asks, if I want to optimize my conversion rates using A-B testing, how much traffic does my website need to reach statistical significance? <laughs> That's a magical One question. One visits. One visit. All the visits. That is my answer. You need all the visits. That is a very good question. And the answer is it depends. That's How about that? <laughs> How about that for Next answer? question. <laughs> Ideally, in an ideal world, we would like to see 100 conversions per version type on a test at least right. at least before making a decision now, i will say this we use fancy schmancy software that, that has science behind it and algorithms and things that are much smarter than i am that have told me that it has reached statistical significance after 10 conversions and I have to disagree with that and kind of use my own head and say that is not statistically significant and let the test run longer. And when I've done that, boy, those results kind of changed over time. So uh, use your head. But for us, again, ideally, and I know this is impossible for all websites, maybe you don't get that much traffic, but ideally we like to see 100 conversions at least per version served. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good rule of thumb. I, you know, I think most software out there, and Google just came out last week announcing that they're revamping their their testing tool. But whether you're using a web visual website optimizer or an Optimizely, most of them do that calculation for you automatically, and, and they're pretty smart about it. I mean, but you got to apply common sense, right? And, and it's not just about the number of conversions you get or the amount of traffic you get, but it's also about the amount of time. That, that it's been running as well. I think that, and the consistency of the data. Yes. You know, because Agreed. we see some tests where we'll start it on a weekend and, and it will be one side of the equation. And then over the, by the end of the weekend, it starts to shift. And then the week comes and it's on the other side of the spectrum. Yes. So I, I think what you've got to look at, and we could get really nerdy mathematical here when we're talking about statistical significance, is looking at the standard deviation and what are most people doing versus what are the outliers, things like that. So, I think looking at the data um, objectively is important because, again, we, we as humans have this confirmation bias, right? So we have an assumption going into a test and we want the data to prove that we're right and we tend to ignore the things that disprove us. So being objective as possible is, is critical. Letting the software help you make that determination when it's statistically significant. But then the other thing is retests. Are, you know, Don't assume that because this test panned out this way this time that you know it's not it's not always going to be the case always Agreed. be testing right because seasonality is different consumers are different your product might be different your competition might be different all these all these factors are going to impact the results so i think a b testing is important but you've got to not you've got to continue forward N never just 
do a test and think you're done. You've got to keep testing and iterating and improving all the time. And I would say this, <laughs> if it's your first toe dip in the water in testing, run an AA test on your website. For all where, the alcoholics out there? Yes. <laughs> I volunteers for <laughs> Run a test just to see. So you're not changing a single thing on your website. You're just telling the software to show 50% of the traffic, put it in this bucket and 50% of the traffic, put it in this bucket with no changes on the website and see what the results are. You may be surprised. You may just see a natural tendency of sometimes traffic just doesn't behave the same way right. just because of oddities. Yeah. And it's also going to depend on, you know, the, the value of the transaction, right? Because if, if your, if your measurement, sorry, if your measurement is something like revenue, Right, that that's how you're determining the win. But one of the two A/B test versions gets one really big sale. Right, you know, it gets like a 14 night sale. Right, it completely skews the numbers. Yes. So you got you got to take take some of those big outliers out of the equation as well. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's keep going. All right, and our next question who already asked a question, but you're allowed to ask more than one question because it In, does increase your chances. Watch this. Heel swag. Oh, oh, two chances. Two chances. Who could it be? Ooh, it is Jared again from Twitter. And one of his questions was any advice for independent hotels without loyalty programs to get up against the big brands with loyalty programs. And then he asked specifically about guest book, which is a third party loyalty program. Okay. They like stash rewards or something like that. I guess. I did post a link in the notes for you to check them out. Yeah, I didn't read it. And yeah. my computer's <laughs> over there running the live stream, so I can't look it up. Oh. <laughs> All right. So while before we answer that question, again, if, if you're just tuning in, this is the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast AMA edition. So if you have a question and you want us to answer it live, then just go to Twitter and use the hashtag FuelAMA. And we're probably going to run this until about 4 p.m. Eastern. So we've got, you know, if the questions keep coming in, we might just have to stop after this one. I don't know. But um, we've got about 40 more minutes. Cup. So at this pace, we can probably squeeze in another three or four questions. Uh, but so, yeah, who wants to take this one? Not all at once. <laughs> Melissa, you don't want to say this one? I don't necessarily want to take this one, but I will say this. So we work with a lot of independent hotels, and this is a question that we get often is how can we ramp up some sort of a loyalty program? And I know that we have a large group of clients here that are working within the PMS system to use that functionality. Um, and I don't know if that's something that's widely available with a lot of PMS systems, but we know that people do count on those loyalty programs. It makes a difference in where people return to year after year after year if they're coming back to the same destination or as we're talking about versus a chain brand where they can go anywhere in the world and use that same loyalty program. So I do think it's an important factor and something that hotels do need to pay attention to and find a way. And maybe it's not a quote unquote loyalty program. Maybe it's just you book direct with us and you receive X, Y, and Z and drive that message home. So people know, Hey, if I stay here, if I book through the website, I'm still getting a great deal. I think that's where loyalty programs for independent hoteliers really does shine. And we've even done studies where we find out, okay, what is most important for people as part of a loyalty program? And it is those immediate rewards that you get 
during your initial booking process. You know, with if let's say you're a single hotel in a specific destination, you're not expecting that business traveler to come you know, multiple times a year and look to rack up their rewards points, you know, so doing things like, you know, our loyalty members get, you know, our early check-in, they have free late checkout, you get a complimentary drink at the bar or a welcome gift or, or some other type of, you know, benefit just for being a member. The benefit to the customer is they're going to want to book direct because a booking through an OTA may not necessarily qualified as a, you know, member of your loyalty program. What it also does is really get that person to start building that, you know, fan base and really become more of a part of your property and you start being more hospitable than just simply being a transaction where the person puts in their credit card, they show up, they stay, and that's it. Yeah. You know, I think the the meaning of loyalty program has evolved significantly. And if what it traditionally was was a, a way to try to get people to come back to the same property or the same chain of properties right and we know looking at hilton marriott these guys that the majority of people using their loyalty programs have been business travelers and we also know that they're not really that loyal to one brand they're going to stay at the place that is most convenient for their meeting or their expo whatever it is they're a member of multiple loyalty programs mm -hmm. right so it, it didn't really move the needle per se so that's why we've seen folks like Marion Hilton evolve what their loyalty programs are. And they are shifting more to this instant gratification value. And loyalty now isn't about telling you, you have to stay just with me exclusively. It's about differentiating me from other properties and other channels each and every time that I book, right? So if you look at what Hilton's doing, where they're now rolling out, so you're gonna be able to redeem your loyalty points against Amazon purchases, right? Or, or Starbucks stuff like that people want things now in in independent hotels don't need to worry about whether or not that that individual is ever going to stay with them again they want two things they want to make sure that they book with that hotel and they, they want to make sure that that person is going to leave happy and evangelizing the, the hotel and loyalty can help move the needle in both of those right so loyalty can differentiate you from non-direct channels so by like pete said you can say hey, check in an hour early or check out out late or get this free coupon at the restaurant or the bar or whatever if you book direct or higher speed Wi-Fi, stuff like that. It's 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 less of a loyalty and more of a, a book direct privilege today, I think is the way that, that the loyalty programs are going. So I don't I don't think you have to be a member of one of these, you know, guest book or stash or one of these guys. I really don't. I just think you operationally have to understand the difference between a guest that books direct and a guest that books through a third party channel. And you have to incentivize and um, revere the people that book direct because you're ultimately going to win more that way. Right. And then when they're on property, use loyalty incentives to make sure that they have a great experience, that they leave really happy, that they feel connected with the brand, that they may come and stay with you again if they had a choice but they're going to tell other people about you as well. So, you know, don't just worry about as soon as they've left, sending them a post-day survey, maybe wine and dine them a little more, thank them, you know, encourage them to share their experience with you from a, from an emotional level first, before you go for that, that data. Don't ask them where the room's clean, ask them to share your, their memory with you, ask them to share 
their story, their experience with you and other guests, because now you're turning one loyal guest into potentially hundreds or thousands of other loyal guests. So that to me is what loyalty programs should do. I think this is time for our next shameless plug because we do have our travel trends report from 2017 and there's an entire section about loyalty. So I encourage everyone to go download their free copy at fueltravel.com slash The next live one we do, we should oh, have trends. special slides. Okay. I was Come thinking, of, sorry, I was thinking you of my thing. You can plug your thing when you plug your thing. Don't let me plug, plug my thing. Yeah. Sorry. And then once you've done that. Clearly. Yeah. Next time okay. we do a live ep- uh, event, we'll have it up on the screen so you can point to it and you know, visit this way. Actually, Alyssa, could you look this up? We did a podcast on loyalty, and I want to say it was in the 40, early 40s, like 40, 41, something like that. No, it was the one with, wasn't it with the one with Glenn where it was like that was, yeah, Glenn, Glenn, yeah, Glenn Housewell's on it. That's right. From, uh, yeah. Steel Trap. That's right. <laughs> what episode was that? It was around 40, right? Pretty sure it was 48. Yeah. Well, while she's doing no, that, no, it was not. <laughs> no, I was on 48 and he <laughs> totally wasn't on. Lied. No, it was earlier than that. I don't know why I was dead. It was like, okay, next question. Oh, we got a we got a double dipper. You ready? We got another question from Ricky. Ricky, he asks. If you had to spend your entire hotel marketing budget on only one thing this year, what would it be? I would spend mine on one. (laughs) Because clearly there's not much you can do with spending it all on one thing. Star Wars toys. I don't know. Would it be? Email marketing, hands down. Really? Yeah. I feel like we need more context because what if? You have a terrible website and you could spend that money on making a not terrible website. You know what I would spend it on? Beats. (laughs) <laughs> Bees, but it's a close second would be property amenities and property experience. Because my goal here is going to make the customer or the guest just have the most amazing time so that they become my market. But what if they never make it to your property because they couldn't find you? Well, but word of mouth yeah. would sort that out. And flyers. Pete, you're flyers. On, dude, you've been studying, man, for this episode. You're no, like that just I just Googled that. I didn't Google that. What should I spend all my marketing money? Yeah. Dude, that's a really good answer. I think you're absolutely 100% right. If your operations are sound, if everyone that has a great experience leaves happy, then that does half your marketing for you. And Here's you my problem with Stuart's answer on email marketing is that it's I'll so cost effective. I don't know if you could spend your entire marketing budget on email marketing. Well, that's true. So, so, let's so I would spend it. Testing your website? Testing the website and also on brand PPC. But I know drive. you can't pick yeah. two, but you gotta drive people mm. to the website. So, so I'm gonna make the assumption that your operations are sound, that your website is kick-ass, and the reason I say email, right? If I could only do one thing, is still in this day and age, as vilified as email is, it is still, if done correctly, it is still the number one best marketing thing you can do. It generates more revenue than any other source, and you know your repeat guests. Not only can you get them to rebook with you by email, but you can also get them to engage with you on other channels that you maybe aren't spending money on, but you have a social channel. You can also encourage them to share things with other people. So I think email is still the best addressable method of communicating with the guests today. And if you do email and it's very cost effective, you might have some money left over. That's right. For wine. 
or cats and bees. <laughs> and bees. There you go. That's a good. That's a good loophole. So you yeah. spend all your money on email, and then the profits you make from the money you make, you then go spend on PPC. Oh, there you go. And nobody answered Vegas. Vegas. Just put it all on black. <laughs> you hear about the guy that did that? There's an English guy went to Vegas. He sold. He sold literally everything he owned. Sold his house, his car, all his clothes. He went to Vegas with just the clothes on his back. So he had his whole net worth in cash, went to Vegas, put it on blackjack. And I don't, this is not going to ruin the story, but I don't know if he put it on black or red, but put it on one of the two and hit it and literally doubled his net worth. I feel roulette. like you're thinking That's of the roulette. wrong game. Blackjack is not black or red. That's oh, no. Yeah. It was roulette. It was roulette. It was blackjack. Roulette. Did My you just bad. make up this story? No, it's a true story. It, it, 100%. He doubled his net, net worth. His name was Meat. No, I'm just <laughs> Meat. Oh, wait. Are we ready for the next question? Sure. sure. Keep them coming. We have a question from Chris. He asks, if I'm a hotel with what I know is a subpar website, where should I start in trying to build a new one? And is there a particular platform or set of tools you think I should use for my website? Well, who wants to tackle that? I would say before you do anything. <laughs> really? Yeah. Sure, sure. You want to take this one? Does somebody else want it? I'm going to give you my answer. No, you can answer the question, but before you do, they should go to fueltravel.com slash website study and download that awesome trip study that was uh, looking at how people interact with a website and you'll get a lot of cool information. I will go on my mini soapbox of the day and say that I feel like a lot of hoteliers get really set on for whatever reason that they, or and not even exclusive to hotels, but a lot of people in general think they need a really fancy, shiny, custom website. And I definitely don't think that's the case. I think there are a lot of really user-friendly platforms that are a lot more cost-effective that will still give you an amazing looking website and that are still really easy to manage from the back end, but that are not going to cost you the same as a custom website. So looking at platforms like WordPress, I think would be a good place to start. Anybody else have thoughts on that? That. Yes. And higher fuel. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. I think it depends on the situation, the uniqueness of the property. I, I think a product like WordPress has gotten bad rap in the, in the past because the reality was it was a blogging platform that had a lot of security holes. And so a lot of people misused it. And there's a lot of people out there doing a really bad job with WordPress. So sure. it still gets hacked a lot. It's still highly targeted because so much of the web is on WordPress now. So I think it gets a bad reputation, but if it's done right, set up the right way, don't use themes that are gonna break if you don't update them, don't use plugins from people that you don't know. But I think WordPress has evolved into a very viable content. Well, that's like system. anything else. Like if you're gonna do it, do it properly. Don't do a half-assed job yeah. out and expect it to work the way it's gonna work. Like yeah. you need to the do other, your research. I agree. The other thing I would say is don't get stuck with a proprietary system. All right. A, a mistake a lot of people make is they'll go to a vendor that says we have, we can build your website. It's on our own content management system. And then for whatever reason, the relationship doesn't work out and they want to separate. Right. But now they say, well, I need to take my website with me. And the vendor's like, well, if you read this small print, you actually don't get the full website. You get static version of the HTML files you don't get the content management system. And so you basically can't do a whole lot with it after that. So I think when you're selecting a vendor to produce your website, if it is a third party, if you're not doing it in-house, 
then I think find one that's going to use an open source platform, whether it's like Joomla or Drupal mm -hmm. or WordPress or Expression Engine or one of these CMSs that, that to Misha's point, makes it easy for them to craft a, a website without having to reinvent the wheel and do everything from scratch. But two, make sure that you own the code and you own the website. So ask the question, if I want to host this website myself, can I do it? And if the answer is no, then you probably want another vendor. Now, I'm not saying you should host your own website because there's a whole pain in the, the button. You have to monitor it and all that stuff. Let them actually host it. But just ask the question, can I host the website if I want to? And I think two other important things to take into consideration, whether you're going template or you're going kind of custom with WordPress or whatever, it absolutely must, must, must has to be mobile friendly. And mobile you first. asked mobile first, mobile friendly, mobile, let's get married. Our, our new know. thing is it's a mobile <laughs> website and it has to be desktop friendly. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And that, and then you asked specifically you about You're proud tools. of yourself for that one picture. I am. Yeah, a big smile on his face. Like, I just came up with that. You should have had gold stars or something for like each other. You get us. Yeah. You get us. We could like thumbs up each other. We all no, but tools. Looking at free tools you can be using, you should absolutely, at a minimum, be using Google Analytics. You yes. should be tracking everything. So making sure that your analytics is set up, um, not only set up, but set up properly and that you're tracking everything is something you definitely want to do. And there's plugins for that. And there's plugins easy. for Absolutely. that. Even sites like Weebly and Wix have that actually built into the system. Yeah. And again, going back to WordPress, I mean, you have plugins that will make everything so much easier. Like there's Yoast SEO plugin that will make a lot of things that for me even used to take, you know, interference from a web developer and that would take a turnaround time. You know, I can do it myself now. So meaning whoever manages your website, whether that's an agency or if you do it yourself, you can do it yourself without having to need help from a web developer. Yeah, and then, and then going back to the, I guess that we could look at the question in a different way, right? When you're actually designing and building a site, like philosophically, how do I come up with the, the right site for my guest? I think one of the things that's often overlooked is engaging your guest in the process, right? When you're do, coming up with creative designs, come up with a lot of them and use your email database, use the social channels and expose your guests to it. Make them a part of that experience and test what they like and what they don't like and solicit their feedback. You know, you don't have to go all in and build a site and then launch it and see if it works. You can baby step and show them designs and get them to help you pick it apart because they're ultimately the people that are going to use the website and they can often look at it with a fresh perspective that you, you can't. So if you're struggling Say you have two designs internally that you're trying to decide between and your boss really likes one and you really like a different one, throw it out to your guests and see what one they like best because you know what? It, it's for them. It's not for you at the end of the day. Or try user testing. Yeah. See yeah, episode 49. So you knew that number because <laughs> yeah. it was the last one we did. I, the only one I've thrown out yeah. was wrong. So yeah. Are we ready for the next question? Sure. All right, we have a question from Nick via Twitter, and he asks, in today's digital age, how can one properly market your hotel in an offline manner? So print products, billboards, et cetera. I'm gonna start okay. on this one. Regardless of what you do. Hey, would you like to start on this one? No, Liars. Melissa's starting on this one because I have things to say. Nerd rage, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Here it comes, grab a beer and, and buckle in. <laughs> right. Here we go. Tracking first, tracking first, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's a print ad. I don't care if it's a billboard, if it's whatever, if it's offline, you have to find a way to track it. So let's say you have a billboard ad. 
you don't just want to send people to www.domain.com and it just, you have no idea where that came from. Find a vanity URL that is available that makes sense, that's easy for the consumer to remember, and have that redirect to wherever it is on your website with the correct tracking information so you can see where that traffic came from. And call tracking. Get phone numbers that you know exactly where that call came from. That is all I'm saying. Amen. Discuss. Tracking is critical with, with all marketing, right? We live in a day and age where the, the adage of 50% of your advertising works. You just don't know which 50% is no longer the case. You, you can tell where every penny is being spent and what, how much revenue every penny generates. So once you have the tracking figured out, it's a question of testing. A good marketing budget is blended, right? It has heavy online, you know, at least 70% of your budget should be online. But whereas 10 years ago, it was probably 30, 20 in the other direction. I think the majority needs to be digital, but you need to have still some offline traditional budget. And, and, and depending on your situation, you know, if you're a sandals or, you know, some big resort destination, then obviously visual stuff like TV and print are going to work really well for you guys if you're trying to stir emotion and tell stories. But even if you're the smallest hotel, direct mail still works, right? If you do it right, don't, don't blanket everyone, but you just come up with creative campaigns that, that aren't gonna break the bank, but can be effective. So a great example of that is we have a client that they keep a rolling look at, they're in a repeat destination and people that come to them year after year after year, but then stop coming go onto this mailing list. And then they have a, a, a rehabilitation plan, drip campaign with print, direct mail, that coincides with their email drip campaign and it's reinforcing each other, right? So be creative like that. Don't just send a print postcard to everyone on your guest history every year. It's, it's a waste of money, but being strategic about it. And now we can be personalized with print as well, right? We can say, dear Pete DeMeo, we love your dad jokes. Come stay with us again, right? So Who loves them? The hotel. No. Uh. <laughs> uh, but we can get personal with print. Uh, so, so I think it depends on your unique situation. You know, I, I think going back to Pete's point earlier, people have so many absolutes in marketing. Like you should be all in digital or all out of uh, traditional. I don't think that's the case. You want to have a well-blended thing, but test everything. And at the end of the year, if you're tracking everything on equal merit and you have good attribution modeling to know where people were in the funnel when they came in from that channel, and you're not just looking at last click analytics, but you're also looking at multi-touch multi point analytics, then it makes your decision really easy each year when you're looking at your budget or each month if you've got a fluid budget when you can say, I'm going to shuffle this that's not working effectively into this because it's working more effectively. Not a huge fan of print, but I don't, and in traditional, I just, I don't think, feel like it's dead like a lot of people feel like it is. Well, that's like the clickbait headline of 2016. Insert something is dead. Yeah. Well, SEO was dead two years ago. Gamecocks are dead. Oh, wait. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Moving on. Hey, national champions, women's basketball, just oh. saying. It got the championship for the sport that matters. That's all I'm saying. Wow. 
What? Hate, hate mail. <laughs> Misha, she just disparaged. Are you disparaging she holds women's up her sport or basketball? I said sport oh, that matters. I, I want to clarify. To are you saying that female sport is not as bad as male sport? Because that's what no. I No. I'm just saying I that yeah. football is more wow, important than basketball. You are so Popular opinion of the day. Moving on. So Microaggressions. Sexist. What's the next question? Fight over here. <laughs> the next question comes from Edward. Another double dipper here. He asks, what are your thoughts on interstitial pop-ups when visitors first enter the site? Discuss. I love this question. Oh. I, Wait a minute. I want to answer it before Melissa Go does. Go ahead. Should you? Okay, we need your personal opinion. I was just saying that I love the question. Opinion. They annoy the crap out of me, but until they stop working, you're kind of in a tough spot. I think you can do them better than I think a lot of people do. I think it's you know it's better to maybe delay them a couple seconds. You know, there's other things you can do to make them not quite so annoying. You never do it on mobile because that's you know not only a you know I guess a, from a usability perspective it's it's annoying, but actually it will ding you from a you know rankings perspective. But they do produce. You know, we did test where we didn't have a pop up and we added one and email collections went up. You know, several fold. But so can you speak to, aside from obviously your email collection as a conversion point, but then at that point, like, do those email leads convert? And they were added to the list and yes, they eventually converted. But what you also saw was your conversion rate on the site did not decrease. True. So it's one of those things where it's not hurting my revenue on the site and I'm also getting emails. I think that's the more important part of the equation is that while everyone might be in agreement, like, oh, pop-ups are annoying. Like, is it actually hurting your site? No. So, yeah, yeah we've tested this and tested this and tested this. And as much and as we might have this. wanted the results. And different. we wanted, we really wanted the results to show that pop-ups were the most annoying thing ever. It just doesn't seem, currently doesn't seem to be the case. And I feel like it depends on the pop-up too. Like, I think there's definitely, like I have been on sites before where there's like a giant pop-up that takes up the whole page and like they like move the little X or something or there's a delay before the X actually shows up. I mean, I think there's like a right and wrong way to do it Agreed. for sure. And even from a design perspective, I think the way you're wording it and how you're presenting it makes a big difference overall. Yeah, I, I kind of want to plead the fifth on this one because I feel dirty talking about it. Um, <laughs> Like, your unlike, Ashley Madison story? Unlike anything else you talk about in the office every day. Easy, we're live. <laughs> All right, so on Tell one side, my consumer brain, I kind of hate them and love them at the same time. Like if it's done right at the right time, if the timing is right and the messaging is right and the value is right, I love it, right? So if I just had read a really cool blog post and then something pops up saying, hey, if you like this, then we've got a newsletter to subscribe to or we've got a webinar coming up, then, then that might be helpful to me, right? So I think that that's fine. But the, you know, following the data, it's it's hard to not want to do it, right? Because the data is telling us that people do convert. Not only can we get more email addresses, but they do end up converting if it's done right. It's hard not to do it. Well, so, sure. And I think for when you're looking at different industries, it's going to be a lot, a lot different. So somebody coming to our website, just bombarding them with pop-ups might not make sense. We might want to like we do on a lot of our pages, have a delayed pop-up where it's either they're on the page for a certain amount of time or they have to scroll. But for generally for a hotel or resort website, when they're there to do one of two things, either research or book, mm -hmm. you know, you're not yeah. 
But there, I don't there's think, not a whole lot yeah. going on. And, and it goes back to what you said about the messaging is important, right? So don't just put up a give me your email address, but it's what value are you providing to them in exchange for the privilege of sending them emails, right? That's the mentality. We've said this before a lot. Marketers screw up everything. In, in principle, pop-ups should, should work really well. Email should work really well. But the problem is marketers take advantage of stuff that works and they take it to from zero to 11 straight away and we overload it and people get blind to it, right? So I think that's the danger with pop-ups. I think to, as technology has changed and even browsers prevented the old style pop-ups, so we had to go to this more interstitial type pop-up, I think there's always going to be that cat and, mouse, cat and mouse game going on. But, you know, you I think you've got to follow the data to a degree, but do it respectfully. You know, do it. Again, taking the offline behavior, the online behavior offline, and thinking about someone coming into your property, do you want to get their email address? Absolutely. But it's not you don't jump in front of them when they walk in the door and be like, give me your email address, right? It's <laughs> Thanks. It works. Um, you'd probably get more emails that way, but you'd also alienate a lot of people that way in your lobby as well. So I, I think applying common sense to it and applying the smell test to it, and if it smells dirty, don't do it. Yeah. And I'd also say this, just because something works today doesn't mean it's going to work right. tomorrow. So always be testing. Always be testing. And should, should see, there's my caveat. There's, there's my caveat. Well, there's today. another important caveat to this conversation is that now, not that we have seen a huge you know, penalty across the board for this, but supposedly earlier this year, Google did implement a penalty for websites that have intrusive pop-ups via mobile. So that's something to consider as well. If, which hopefully you do have a nice mobile friendly website and you're ranking well via mobile, you don't want to have a super obnoxious pop-up at all because you will be penalized for that. And that's all I have to say about that. All right, Forrest, go. <laughs> Are you ready for our next question? Sure, this is going to turn into a whine about it if we keep knocking back the yeah. deal. I, oh, this is oh. for our moderator. Finally. <laughs> Back of your head was just on screen momentarily. All right, so our next one. <laughs> Seriously? Can you All right, bring that beer back. Yeah, we, we probably need to cut this short soon. No. We have another question from Ashley. Our question is, how important do you think it is to have a truly mobile-friendly booking engine and why? 100% important. Yes. yes. <laughs> People look at their, their mobile conversion stats and they say, oh, well, mobile doesn't convert as well as it does on desktop. That means people don't want to book on mobile. Eh. That may not necessarily be true because if your mobile booking experience sucks, people are going to leave that and hopefully come back to you on a desktop. You know, so having a really hopefully. good... Yeah, hopefully is the big word. So making sure that you have a great experience through the entire process is critical. Right, so so in, in our recent study that we already plugged a couple of times, but fueltravel.com slash website study, one of the questions we, we always ask in our studies is how many websites do you visit, ho hotel websites do you visit when you're making your purchase decision, right? The number is a lot lower than people think. The, the number last year was 4.6, this year was 4.4. So we know that people aren't looking at a lot of different websites, but we know that they're coming back to that same website multiple times, three, four, five times, right? So we know that they're doing their research and a lot of people are starting their research on mobile. 
Now, there's still a consumer confidence thing. There's still a newness and novelty to it that people aren't confident enough to always book on mobile. But if you look at the data, what it'll tell you is people will come to mobile and they'll do the research. They'll look at the amenities. They'll look at the room types. They'll do a search. They'll see the inventory. They'll see the rates. And at that point, they're making a decision. Are you an acceptable property for me to consider or not, right? If your mobile booking engine doesn't answer all the same questions that your desktop booking engine does, then there's a good chance they're not going to ever make it to your desktop booking engine. So then you're not going to book them on mobile and you're not going to book them on desktop. So your mobile, and remember, again, we're past the tipping point. Mobile tipping point was 2014. That's when more than 50% of travel website visits were on mobile. So we know that people are starting on mobile. They may be not as converting as highly, but it's a really, really important part at the beginning of the sales funnel. And you've got to answer all the same questions. Just because they're not pulling the trigger doesn't matter. You've still got to wine and dine them before you close the deal, right? So mobile booking engine should be your priority. You know, you should not have a booking engine that does not have a really, really good mobile experience. In your mobile, in your booking engine and your website should be built first and foremost for mobile, secondarily for desktop. And we are seeing without a doubt that conversion rate and revenue from a mobile phone is growing faster than the traffic from mobile phone. I'm going to say that one more time. Conversion rate and revenue are growing faster than the traffic rate. Right. That gap is going to close, right? And at some point it's going to, it's going to flip flop. But e even though it's not just about getting the revenue on mobile, right? It's about making sure that you're still in the consideration set, that they're not just dismissing you and going somewhere else. We've seen sites and clients that come to us and say, we need help. We don't have a mobile site. We don't have a mobile booking engine. As soon as they switch to having a mobile friendly booking engine and mobile friendly website, the conversion rate goes through the roof on across the board, right? The, the better mobile experience impacts the right. desktop experience because it's the same consumer. And now that technology is beginning to come out with uh, where you can do cross device tracking, we're beginning to get a better picture of that cycle. But we know that people aren't just married to one device. They're using you know, their mobile phone that, when they're aspirational and they're trying to get inspired to travel. Or in the when, bathroom. Yeah, or in the bathroom. But then they're using their desktop when they're sitting there at home or at work and they wanna actually make the transaction. So mobile is critical. You, you cannot compete today without a great mobile experience. Look at the OTAs. Look at how much money they've invested in their mobile experience. They, these guys have the data because people are logging into their systems so they can see them cross device. They know how important mobile is to their success and it's critically important to hotel success as well. Whew. <laughs> are you ready to step off that soapbox yet? Yeah, I guess. That was almost no <laughs> A plinth. It was a plinth. Oh, it was a plinth. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? Because it's getting close to that four o'clock cutoff, people. Is there any more we want to tackle? think that might be it for today. Okay. So thank you again, everyone, for helping the show be so successful. Thank you for a great, fun roller coaster year. We've had a lot of enjoyable times talking about nonsense, some of which was hotel marketing-related nonsense. We've only had to um, scrap two episodes and re-record them because we completely screwed up, which I'm glad we didn't do too much today, although 
Chris and some others tried their best. To- I think we should just redo this one. I'm not happy with how it Yeah, yeah. We should start over. So just forget everything you guys just saw. <laughs> we're going to re-record it next week. So next week, we're going to go back to regular uh, audio podcast. If this is something that you guys want to see us do on a regular basis, let us know. Depending on the feedback, we might consider doing it once a month or something like that. But uh, that is it for our 50th episode, guys. Thank you for joining us. We Did we let them know where they can find us on the internet? I'm about to do that. Okay, sorry. Just... This is not my first time. This is my 50th time. Couldn't I've tell. I've only forgotten it like Couldn't seven tell. times. <laughs> so, Melissa, where can they find you on the interwebs? I am on Twitter at M-A-Kavanaugh, K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Misha, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Marketing Misha. That is at Marketing M-E-I-S-H-A. And Pete, where can they find you on Ashley Madison? they can find me on twitter at least twitter so yeah i always get those two yeah it, it happens yeah. sometimes uh but that's p de mayo p d i m a i o i really hope your kids aren't watching this no yeah i hope my key works when i get home <laughs> so stewart where can they never mind yeah. i have a comment i'm not even gonna go yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Stuart Butler, S-T-U-A-R-T-B-U-T-L-E-R. You can find us collectively at uh, Fuel Travel on Twitter and Facebook. And until next time, you've been watching the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? How many? Ten tickles.